settling in for a Friday night recording. Welcome to Hand of Pot. Episode 459 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam and I'm joined by Andres. Hello, welcome. And English Dan. Good evening. Um, we might be a little bit slower than we normally are today because Dan's Wi Fi has uh, conked out just before we started recording. So I'm currently leeching Wi Fi off Dan's uh, data connection on his phone because I don't have data myself. And SofaScore is not particularly uh, friendly with that fact, but I, at the third time of asking, I managed to make it show me the scores. So, first thing to say is, uh, last week's episode went up uh, well over 24 hours after we recorded it, due to reasons at my end. I uh, apologise for that, and as a result, a bunch of these score lines had already happened before we uh, went online last week, even though they were after we played. And they were Sarmiento 1, Godoy Cruz 1, Platense 1, Estudiantes 2, Huracán 2, Arsenal 1, Newells 0, Argentinos 0. Uh, the one that was mostly, uh, most obviously making the podcast out of date before it even went online, Atletico Tucumán 1, River 1. So, well done us for calling Franco Armani's clean sheet record mm-hmm. that he was closing in on. Uh, Vélez 0, San Lorenzo 0. So San Lorenzo failing to capitalise on that dropped two points for River. Gimnasia 1, Tigre 1, Instituto 0, Central Córdoba 2, Banfield 0, Barracas Central 0, Boca, the only team last week to score more than two goals, 3, Racing 1, Defensa y Justicia, oh they weren't in fact, I was, my thumb was over the very bottom result of the list, uh, Defensa y Justicia 2, Colón 0, Independiente 2, Belgrano 0, and Tacheres 3. Three Rosario Central, one Union versus Lanús was postponed because part of the stadium fell off. Apparently, oh really? Oh, That's wow. what I'm reading on Bromiers. Yeah, I haven't looked further into it. Um, that doesn't sound very good. Hmm. I just saw it flash up. I remember seeing it yeah. sitting in front of my phone on um, was it Sunday? It was, wasn't it? Because last last week started. Yes, that's right. There were no matches on Monday. Um, just flicking through to see what football was on that afternoon and seeing that it had been postponed and mm. thinking, oh, what was that? And I tried Googling it and couldn't find anything. Uh, let me tell you what happened very quickly. Oh, shame Tony's not here to talk about the yeah. drama that Union must be having right now. He might have thought, well, thanks to all, because the way that the Union was playing, that uh, was better just to call off that, that match. Mm. Yeah. Um, and while Dan's looking up that up, by the way, earlier this afternoon at uh, mm. half past three on Friday afternoon, for some reason, the league uh, weekend got underway. There are no matches at all this evening, so we're really not sure why these matches were both played at 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, but Barracas Central got a 3-0 home win over Instituto, and Union did play a match. It was away to Godoy Cruz, mm. and it ended goalless. 
Um, you will obviously hear the rest of the fixtures read out later on towards the end of the podcast, but we are going to be spending probably some of this podcast talking about River Boca, which is on Sunday afternoon. Right, do you want to know what happens in Union? Yes, please. Uh, there was a big storm in Santa Fe, mm-hmm. apparently, um, on Sunday, correct? Or Monday? It was pretty rainy here, wasn't it? It was Sunday. Sunday. Because Monday was International Workers' Day. That is correct. Um, and a massive piece of guttering came loose um, off the roof and fell into one of the uh, the camera bays, the cameraman bays. Oh, well. Look. Yeah. <laughs> that is a big piece of guttering. That is a big piece of guttering. So um, not a fix that's going to be likely to delay any more of Union's home games? Or no, but they were given 20 minutes to basically cut away that massive bit of tin and didn't wow. manage it, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that led to a protest in the Union kind of club headquarters, um, which was repressed with rubber bullets because Union aren't doing great at the moment. Wow. Um, bottom of the league fairly comfortably, and with one win, I think, in 14 games. That is correct. One win, six draws, seven defeats, yes. eight goals scored, 20 goals conceded. So this was kind of the straw, the guttering that broke the, the camel's back, it seems, for fans. Mm. They are not very happy. Yeah. Uh, in the matches that did take place, I'm seeing a lot of 1-1s and a lot of 0-0s. Um, let's begin with one of those 1-1s. We'll give Dan a little bit of time to mentally prepare himself for reviewing Rasik's match. Uh, Andres, it hasn't been a very good week for River overall, because also on Wednesday evening, I think it was, they lost um, very heavily yes. indeed. Yeah, the worst defeat in, in, in history of, of, for Copa Libertadores. Mm. Uh, and, well, I, I, I couldn't catch the match against Atletico uh, Tucumán, but for what I heard and what I could watch afterwards, the, 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 the summary, the, I mean the goals and, and the parts of the match, uh, uh, it was like uh, quite lucky uh, yeah. at the end of the match, as it was like a. Uh, uh, the, the the player of Atletico Man, I think, was Pereira, Pereira, the mm. number ten, who uh, until that moment had been the perhaps the man of the match or the most important match in, for for Atletico Tucumán, had a, a corner kick that was safe and into the net, uh, and of course a non goal, and River rescued a, 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 a draw after a quite dull match played with in the reserves or not the normal perhaps uh, 11 players that uh, start have, have been starting the matches yeah I, I watched a sort of big chunk of it. I switched on mm. after Atletico Tucumán had gone ahead which was uh, they did that about 15 minutes in yes. and then I in spite of the fact that I watched the game to the end I managed to not be looking at the TV when the equaliser went in so I only saw it on the replay uh, but yeah I mean largely as you described Pereira was very good Atletico Tucumán really deserved to win. River, I thought they had good value for it, yeah. Yeah, um, River were, were rather disjointed, but as you say, with a sort of a mixed team. I mean, especially, especially uh, changing what had been uh, like the most important thing for River that the clean sheets because of their uh, solid defense, uh, and in this case it wasn't the case uh, with Maidana. Showing he perhaps is not with the rhythm to play in first division at least at River. I mean, he's sixty years old. To be fair. Yes, of course. <laughs> and how he's been playing, that is also something that you have perhaps when you need to put to 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 uh, 
you require for a player to play and hasn't been playing uh, and, and it's 36, 37 years old. Gotta be, yeah, at least. Uh, well, that is something that you show that uh, the, the player, or I think it was Cornell who scored the goal, uh, passed through him like, like well, very, very easily. Uh, very similar to Cano on, uh, yes. on Wednesday as well, who just ghosted through the. Uh, yes, no one wanted to touch him that because that would have been a penalty, yeah. but, uh, well, at least <laughs> do something. Do something, <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, so on Wednesday, I mean, we may as well kind of, while we're here, talking about Rivers' woes, um, they're not in a good place in the Libertadores group overall, uh, because as we said kind of last week, they have now played their two trickiest fixtures, i.e. away in La Paz and away to Fluminense, um, but they've got to win those remaining ones. He was, yeah. I think, a, 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 yes, a, a very bad week. In fact, the for Copa Libertadores... River is the most the, the, the team who conceded most goals uh, in the entire Copa Libertadores. Yes, ten goals in three games conceded yes. compared to six goals in fourteen well, Liga games. Five goals in one match puts you in that position. Anyway, it's clear. Um, but yes, uh, well, it's what it, we'll have to see whether is whether this was uh, well change of players, which meant not playing very well against Atlético Tucumán and. Tremendously bad mm. uh, match against Fluminense. Yeah. Who were very good, it has to be said. Like They are the form team in Brazil at the moment, and they've got Marcelo, who's still looking like a 20 year old, just like tearing up the pitch. Well, and Herman Cano, who is 35. Herman Cano, ex Chacarita legend. And Lanús. I think that's taken him up to 23 goals in 21 games now in 2023. It's, it's uh, like Herman Haaland. Yes. No, absolute beast. And Ganso as well. Oh, 23 in 21 matches, I think. That's one player I could just watch all day, every day. Gans, what an elegant player! Like just complete throwback, like eighties, nineties throwback. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, it was um, number ten for Santos, wasn't mm-hmm. he with Neymar in 20, 2011? Yes. Um, and so Paulo, so he played I think several teams. Yeah, he, he always had trouble with injuries, so he never got that move to Europe. I think he played for Sevilla muy brief, uh, muy very briefly. Um, and kind of had probably five absolutely fantastic games and a nice little highlight reel, but just couldn't really get the consistency. Um, but when he's on his game and playing in Europe, uh, playing in South America, playing in Libertadores, there aren't many people who can touch him. Like just so much class on uh, on the ball there. Yeah, um, yeah. It was a hat trick for Herman Cano. Two goals for Jean Arias. Um, <laughs> I, I hate to say this, but I was reminded watching it of some of Manchester United's away performances in big away games this season, where the second half it was kind of it was more or less competitive up to a point, and then there was just this collapse. Yeah, but, but, three of the goals went in in the last fifteen minutes, and up to that they, point. I wouldn't say that River would have deserved an equaliser if they managed to make it two-two, but, but they were hanging in there. When they got the equaliser, River was better than Fluminense, but then of course the the, the red card and the well the second goal. Um, was all it was like uh, against Sporting Cristal? You have a red card, and they, uh, I don't see the goal, but against Sporting Cristal because the team was of course weaker. Yeah, uh, Real was uh, able to to turn it around even mm. with with ten men in this case. Apart from that, it was a bigger team. I was I wouldn't say it's a monster, but uh, uh, clearly I think it's uh, at least for what I watched on Wednesday a better team than River. Yeah. And with, with, with bad decisions, because 
when when um, uh, I, when when sorry when Gonzalez Pires uh, was was uh, sent off, you had also Mamana there, and and the the one who who the Michelis uh, chose to to uh, replace was was Mamana, which, 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 who didn't have the, the yellow card. And, but apparently what, what the Michele said was that he was not fit. Yeah. But I think it's ABC or basics that you have a player with a yellow card and the other one who doesn't have yellow card. Yeah. Who will you replace? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And the commentators make that point as well um, during the match. Uh, Rivers' remaining Libertadores group fixtures are at home to Sporting Cristal away to Fluminense and then at home to the strongest. Now they were given a little bit of a reprieve just after this defeat to Fluminense because the strongest failed to win. In fact, they lost um, in Lima, which means that the standings for the group are Fluminense on nine points and all of the other three teams on three points. Um, so River aren't that far adrift of second place, but the strongest have got two home matches coming up. They're playing Fluminense at home and they've got to play Sporting Cristal at home before they I don't know in what order, but um, in fact it will be in that order, won't they? Because Rivers' next game is away to is at home to Sporting Cristal, um, and then they, they obviously visit the Monumental. But I mean, it's it's all on the Sporting Cristal game, yes. really. It, it, they've they've got to win that. Uh, they've got to. I guess they want Fluminense to run away with the group to get a win in La Paz now, and that way they're well. When the groups, like, when the groups were were uh, uh, defined. Uh, we knew, or uh, uh, everyone thought that it would have been, it, it would have, it would be a, 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 a quite tough group, uh, and while making mistakes, puts you close, uh, fast, uh, far from the from the goal to qualify, mm. because against uh, uh, the strongest, uh, uh, the other match that I think you said that uh, was, well, if you think of a match to lose, in the attitude, and against Fluminense in Brazil were two matches. That you can lose, yeah. But making huge mistakes, sometimes silly mistakes, which could have not been any goals. In this case, it was like that. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, it's been a much better week going into the Super Classico to be a Boca Juniors fan. They mm. have managed back-to-back -back wins for the first time since the twenty-fifth of March and first of April. Two very good beat, wins as well. When they beat Olimpo and Barracas Central in the Copa Argentina, followed by the league. Uh, those wins were 3-1 against <coughs> Racing, sorry Dan, and 2-0 away to Colo-Colo in the Libertadores on Wednesday, Wednesday night as well. So they, they played right after River? No, River must have played on Tuesday. River played on yes. Tuesday, yes, um, mistake. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, let's stick to Boca. We'll obviously ask you what you thought of Racing in a few minutes' time, Dan. Um, but I thought, against Racing, that they looked clinical. Uh, I mean, yeah, they took. That's about how I put it, really. Those two chances right at the start just really put Rask against up, up against the ropes. I think it was two goals in eight minutes, right? Yeah. Um, Pachero opened the scoring. Yeah. Martin Pachero opened the scoring, mm -hmm. and then Paul Fernandez added one right afterwards, like two very quick counters from uh, from Boca, and then yeah. It was always going to be uphill from there. Um, Racing got a bit of a reprieve because for some reason Boca just decided to do Boca things in the second half and fight people, kick people. 
um, get people sent off. Um, and I don't know if you feel this too, but I feel like this, the mass classic South American Argentine on pitch brawl doesn't happen almost at all anymore. Except when Boca are playing. When it happens every other game. It's like, why does it always happen to Boca? It's like, this happened in the last game or the penultimate game against Racing as well when they played that Trofeo de Campeones. Oh. Mm, of course. When yeah, everyone yeah. had like six people yeah. sent off. Happened against Union. There's, an, there there's another couple like, they just need to fucking control themselves because they were absolutely walking that game and all of a sudden, you know, it went down to 10 versus 10 because Bashir got sent off. Um, Juan Narroni got sent off um, egregiously, letting himself be putting in a, put in a headlock. Um... And when it's 10 by 10, 10 against 10, it's just a completely different game. Yeah. You know, all so much more open, anything can happen. Well, and Racing scored a few minutes. Racing scored a very, very good goal from Nicolas Reniero. Um, and they could they had a couple of chances uh, to make it 2-2. Um, Boca just about... Um, they managed to take advantage of some, some more sloppy defending. Merendiel got a very... Just charge really from a headed clearance. Mm. Horrible, horrible defending from Racing, uh, as they as they showed against uh, Letico Tucumán the previous week. Um, that's but really was, let them down. It was two against one. It was Menendiel against two defenders. Yeah, and it's like Menendiel is not Vinicius Junior or like Usain Bolt or or someone. You know, he's not the quickest guy, but he just left them in the dust. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, and that's pretty much that. Pretty much sums up Racing's uh, fortunes in the league so um, in recent weeks. Um, but good in the copper at least yeah. very happy and, and good for Boca as I said we'll talk about Rasking in a few minutes but um, Boca then as I said backed that up with a 2-0 win away mm. to Colo Colo with goals from Luisa Vincula again and Sebastian Misha I saw I think it was you Dan making the point on Twitter um, that uh, Vincula seems to be better as a winger and it seems like um, I mean you said it's taken Boca two years to realise this and several yeah. coaches but in fairness I think nobody previously in Abinkula's career would put him on the wing as far as I'm he aware he definitely started as a winger did he? definitely okay. yeah um, I mean yeah because he's he doesn't really know how to defend but no. he is fucking quick and Especially you know if you give him space he'll just get past you hmm. um, and yeah that's really changed Boca these last two games since Amiron decided to do it I mean they've actually won games mm. um, which is a huge departure for Boca this season and uh, Vinkler's definitely been a big part of that um, no very very good and they've been helped that uh, Bacheros on very good form as well Paul Fernandez looks like he's getting back to After being the same guy defending him of course yeah you've got you've got to defend Paul Fernandez. he's a fantastic player he's just in a massive slump uh, but he's been Argentine champion something like Three times in the last four years between Boca and Racing, um, this is like he's a guy who's who's a winner, um, and that's very very useful for Boca if he's back on form. And very good time for for Boca because we have the Super Clasico between two debutant coaches. Indeed, yeah, which is quite exciting. The first non Gachardo Super Clasico in nine years. Yeah, astonishingly. Yeah. How many? Yeah. I mean, we, we've said this before, who would have predicted that Gachardo would have been in charge for that length of time when he took mm. over? None of us. But, uh, Can but, we yeah. see Dimichelis going nine years? <laughs> well, you know, ask, asking today, maybe not, but if you'd asked a week ago, then... 
Mm. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> um, group F of the Copa Libertadores then looks like this. Boca atop of it with seven points. Deportivo Pereira second with four. Colo Colo also have four, but they're just behind on goal difference. Um, Monagas have one point. Um, we will preview the Super Classico a little bit more in uh, the that vincula, Sorry, some data vincula position or new position for him at Boca is something that also I think that well, Gareca uh, used to to play with him in that position mm. and Almiron used to uh, have these things of, of making the right back uh, playing more as a, a, more as a wing mm. with for example Alejandro Silva to, at Danus when Danus played I think Copa Libertadores and defeated River yeah. mm. in that uh, time 2017 so and and well, uh, it's the, the the not so natural thing is for get results so so quickly so mm. so ra- so fast mm. because two goals out of five or something like that were scored by Adingula in his new position for, at work of course uh, and in fact the Bisha uh, the goal for from Bisha at against the Colo Colo was the first goal for for a striker for Boca since this. Streak of, of, of not losing uh, matches because no, uh, Meridia scored against Racing. Ah, sorry, yes, yeah. well, <laughs> but it, it, it were a few. Yeah, yeah. it was Figal scoring, uh, well, uh, yeah, Pacheco like, scoring. Feels like Misha's first goal in a while as well. Yeah, he missed a couple of sitters against not, Racing as well. And it's um, not been great this, this Advincula, year. Varela, Pacheco, uh, Figal were more mostly the scores, and well, then Merentiel one score, one goal, and Misha another one. Yeah. Um, on the Racing side, Dan, since I promised you you'd get to talk about it. Um, <laughs> they followed that defeat up with a draw against Flamengo mm. uh, on Thursday night. Thursday night, uh, yes. Just last night, in fact. Uh, Gabriel Barbosa scoring for the visitors. I should mm. clarify the Racing were at home to Flamengo. Um, on the stroke of half-time. And Nico, yeah, neat little Nicolás free tick. Free kick routine. Um, what was that like? I, I kind of didn't watch too much of that game because I assumed you'd be watching it and you'd be able to tell us about it. Uh, it was exciting and then very painful, then depressing, and then extremely exciting again. Um, I was really impressed with how Racing played, to be honest. I think the first half hour or so, they probably edged it against Flamingo, looked very, uh, you know, the team more likely to, to create something, and then Gabriel Alche. Just had a meltdown, got himself two deserved bookings in two minutes for really unnecessary clumsy tackles and got sent off. And then, yeah, you're playing the reigning Libertadores champions with one man down. It's just not going to be very much fun. Uh, and Flamengo finally got a breakthrough just before half time. Really neat little free kick routine. Um, finished off by Gabigol, of all people. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it seemed from that point, how many was, was it going to be? You know, if Racing could keep it to one or two, you'd say, all right, fair enough. I guess in that respect, it was perhaps a little bit fortunate that it came right before half time, so they didn't have any time to add to the, <laughs> the advantage, right? Yeah, very possibly. Um, and second half was very much Flamengo pushing, but not pushing particularly hard. I mean, there's something I've seen a lot from Brazilian teams, um, like one of my big criticisms. Um, they just seem to sit on these leads very much, like unless you know the game's there to be taken by the throat, like we saw from Fluminense in those, you know, what, what was it, 15, 20 killer minutes they had against River. Like they just don't risk much, and I think. I wonder how much of it is 
because one thing I do see is that they, they do run the scores up like Fluminense against River against other you know clubs from other countries in the United Orange. Yeah, but when it but comes to Argentine clubs, um, thinking, you know, this is the one the, the one league where they could go toe to toe for toe with us. I mean, you see it in Brazilian football as well. It's very much you know completely against the obvious stereotypes. It's very much a safety oriented league, like risk averse league. Um, not wanting to take too many chances when you're winning or, or even drawing if you're playing away. Um, and that really played into Racing's hands because a game which really should have been out of their reach suddenly fell into their lap when uh, Flamengo got their own player sent off. Uh, Wesley, I believe. No, no second name. Let me check that. Um, that seemed to, you know, again, as I was saying against Boca, 10v10, anything yes. can happen. Wesley. Yeah. Um, but ultimately it didn't make much difference because Nicolas Soros pulled on his Matthias Rojas welding mask and smashed in a beautiful left-footed free kick to level the score. And just after that, uh, Racing's youngster Saliadarri had a beautiful chance to put it away and managed to hit the post one-on-one. Uh, could have been 2-1. I was watching it with Nawi actually. He really got into the game and just screaming laments of desperate woe. And had that gone in, that could have put you in a really great position. Had that gone in, you'd say, you know, because the group stage is essentially the, over. Because the draw means that Racing are top of Group A with seven points mm-hmm. from three matches, Flamengo second on four points, and Alcas, not Outcast, and Nublense both have uh, three points. So, very nicely positioned indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Flamengo would have uh, been in the third position, but Alcas was winning... His ma- uh, their match against New Orleans and then New Orleans turned it around and, and ended up winning. Excellent. Indeed, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Happy, happy overall. Like, the defence, at least, looked very solid compared, compared to the shit show we've seen in the, in the league recently. So, they're kind of the anti-river in that respect. Um, yeah. But, yeah. But then, two massive games for Racing coming up. I think they've got to go to Alcas in a couple of weeks, which is up in the altitude of Quito, already caught out Flamengo there, and then to the Maracanã itself to face Flamengo. So if they can withstand the pressure in, in those two games and then do the, do the business in their last home, yes, game, and the, the qualification should be... The opposite way to River also because they have played perhaps, not the Flamengo is not easy, but home at, at least home. Yeah, sure. And then they have the two, two away and quite difficult matches of uh, coming and River the other way because they are last in the group but they have now Sporting Cristal is not easy in at mm. Lima but if they win that match then they have to home. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, and, I mean as, as as I said earlier, the yes. away to Fluminense and the way to the strongest yes. probably the two most difficult at home to Fluminense. It's not going to be easy, of course, but um, on paper the you. Argentine clubs are always worried about the altitude, and as we've seen with pretty good reason. Um, dragging us back to the Liga Profesional, as I said, um, at the top, San Lorenzo failed to take advantage of River slipping up. River were held 1-1 away to Atletico Tucumán, and the following, in fact, the very next match in the round, even though it was around 20 hours later, um, San Lorenzo were held 0-0 away to Vélez in a match that, just looking at the numbers... Does not crap. look like it was particularly exciting. Absolute crap. You can confirm that for us, can you, Dan? Yeah, basically a team 
that couldn't play against a team that wouldn't play. Uh, neither really wanted to go to go out for it. I mean, San Lorenzo never do. They just hope for the chance when it comes. Mm. I think they had the best chance of the match. Uh, I can't remember exactly how it was, but it was. There was a couple of close shows for Vélez, but really, yeah, just what we've seen from San Lorenzo all year, like not willing to to risk that clean sheet, um, put too much pressure on the events, and just not playing particularly. Looks like they missed football. They they missed a very good chance to to uh, stay at four four points to River because mm. they played afterwards. Yeah, knowing that River failed to win and, and well they couldn't do yeah you wouldn't think they get many of them chances so they should be taking advantage of them really yeah the chasing pack took the opportunity to catch up a little bit on San Lorenzo so the, the, the gap from River to San Lorenzo as Andres just hinted has remained at 6 points River on 34 San Lorenzo on 28 um, but Defensa y Justicia and Tacheres both won both by two goals. Defensa Justicia 2-0 mm. at home to Colón. Tacheres 3-1 at home to Rosario Central. Which means that Defensa Justicia now have 27 in third place. Tacheres uh, join a group of teams on 24 points. That includes Estudiantes de la Plata, who also won. And uh, Belgrano, who drew, I think, didn't they? Along with pretty much everyone else. No, no Belgrano lost 2-0 to Independiente. Independ yes, um, so Belgrano really slipped up. Uh, but defensively, DC of Colón, 2-0, home win, two goals from Gaston Donny, both about halfway through each half. Um, they are being quite, quite consistent, uh, both in the in the Liga Profesional and Copa Sudamericana. Yeah. Uh, defeating, I think Peñarol is not the Peñarol, the historic Peñarol, but defeating them 4-1 is big yeah. result. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'll try and mop up the rest of the Libertadores and Sudamericana competitors. Because I realised while I was looking at some of the scores flying in in midweek on, on my phone that we've not sort of been going through them in, in a very um, thorough way so far this season because I find it quite difficult to keep up with all of the teams in the Sudamericana. There's a lot of them. Especially yeah. with the group stages now. I mean, I know the group stages have been going on for a few years, but I just at this stage of the Sudamericana, <laughs> there are so many matches that I find it really hard to remember who's playing in what. And, and there are so many teams, this season it feels like there are more teams in Argentina involved in continental competition who I'm not used to seeing in continental mm. competition. Obviously, Defensa Justicia aren't one of them. They've, they've uh, done very well indeed in the Sudamericana in particular in recent years. But yeah. Um, Tacheres goals from Michael Santos in the first minute. Um, and then two more from him in the 71st and 72nd minutes. Uh, Reaching Retegui and, and Vegetti, I think, in the scoreline. Oh, you're probably right. Yeah, we'll check that in a second. Uh, got them the 3-1 win at home to Rosario Central, for whom Alan Rodriguez had temporarily equalised in the 40th minute. Uh, top goal scorers? Ooh, not quite. Santos has gone on to eight goals, but he's one behind oh, Mateo okay. Rategui. He's level with Pablo Vegetti um, oh, on okay. eight goals, but Mateo Rategui mm. has nine because oh. he scored, scored for Tigre, uh, which was one of the very few little putting a name to a statistic thing that I actually could remember off the top of my head for that one. In their 1-1 <laughs> draw away to Gimnasia, he got a 95th minute equaliser. Uh, and the reason I could remember that was that I was watching it. Now that I come to think of it, I've watched most of the second half of that. And Tigre, I mean, I didn't see the first half, but based on what I saw of the second half, Tigre deserved the point that they managed to rescue later on. Uh, they were easily the better team than Gimnasia. Also a positive week for them. Because they then defeated Puerto Cabello. Yes, they did. Um, 
they, weak or, or, or strong rival, but well. Yeah. Yes, and that's in Group D of the Sudamericana. Yes. Puerto Cabello are based in the beautiful country, I'm sure, I've never been, of Venezuela. Um, so that happened. Um, 3 0 went away for Tigre there as well, which means that they are second, of course, because South Paulo are top of that particular group. Um, we'll go into that in a little bit more detail in a bit, though. We'll do a proper roundup of the South American continental action after this half time break. Don't go away. Here we go. We're going to begin with a rundown of the Libertadores and Sudamericana matches that we haven't mentioned yet. Um, because, as I said before the break, I find it quite difficult to remember who's in what competition and indeed who's in any competitions at all at the moment. So, I think we have to start with the mighty Padronata, right? First ever Copa Libertadores win. Not, don't, don't spoiler it down because ah. we don't yet. I'm going to take these in, in chronological order to make sure we don't forget anybody. And also because that's the order the sofa scores list in the minute. So on Tuesday evening, uh, Argentinos got a 2-2 draw away to Liverpool of Uruguay. Mm. Um, the goal scorers there were Francisco Metili and Miguel Torren with a penalty for Argentinos. And two equalisers for Ruben Bentancourt. Any relation to Rodrigo, I wonder, for Liverpool? No. There are a lot of Vendangort in Uruguay, I think. Yeah. Yes, it's a Slack Smith over there. Common surname. Uh, that result means that Argentinos, perhaps a little bit surprisingly, are top of Group E after three matches. They have seven points. Uh, Independiente del Valle have six. Corinthians are down in third place with three points. And mm. Liverpool have one point, the point that they just earned and, against Argentinos. And they almost win it. They lost it, I think, near to the end of the match. They, they got, uh, I mean, Liverpool got the equalizers quite near, uh, or not? Oh, yeah, last, yeah. last 15, yeah. Bentancur's second equalizer was uh, with 14 minutes to go, so pretty close. Um, let's see, New Blends, they beat Alcas in um, Racing's group, as we've already mentioned. Uh, River lost to Fluminense, we've talked about that one. Boca beat Colo Colo, we've talked about that. I'm just trying to find the Argentine side. Side series is probably obvious, and as Dan has already spoiled for all of you, on Thursday evening, Patronato de la Juventud Católica uh, got their first Copa Libertadores, indeed their first continental win. I'll assume so. They took an early lead through Juan Cruz Esquivel. Um, Melgar equalised quite early in the second half through Tomás Martínez, but Patronato got their noses back in front through Sergio Ojeda, just under an hour in. Esquivel got his second of the match on 70 minutes, and with four minutes to go, Mateo Levato scored the fourth. Um, and I've just noted that shortly after uh, that fourth goal for Patronato, Melgar had a player booked who has a fantastic surname that I have never come across before. Alec Deneomostier. Oh, all one word? 
Yes. Oh. D-E-N-E-U-M-O-S-T-I-E-R. That, yeah. that is a name. That is um, a So, yeah, that's a 4-1 win for Patronato. Congratulations to Patronato fans. Um, I mean, statistics don't tell you everything, but Patronato scored more goals than Melgar I think that on target, so I'd say that probably... Uh, uh, yeah, they're very, they're very good for him because of his surname. Yes, indeed. Um, and it puts Patronato in the... I mean, given that it's Patronato, I think we would have to say the driver's seat for the Copa Sudamericana spot. Mm. Uh, both them and Melgar had lost both of their first two matches. It's a bit of a competition, really. They're in, in a group with two relative giants of South America. But football. they must be regretting having lost against, of course, his Atletico Nacional of mm. Colombia, a, a bigger team, but uh, they were winning the, the previous match, uh, also in Paraná, I think. Uh, or is it by any other... Let me just double it's back. Colón, right? The, the previous remember. match to this one, they lost 1-0 away to Olympia, but the first match of the group, yeah, they were in Paraná. Oh, yeah, no. sorry, you're quite right. Yeah, in Santa in, Fe. Um, Santa yes. Fe. Uh, and they did take the lead. I think we talked briefly yes. about this one. Yeah, we could they, uh, possibly they scored really early on uh, through Mateo Levato and then conceded both uh, two goals in the last 15 minutes to, to lose 2-1. Um, but yeah, the standings in that group are... Atletico Nacional on seven points, Olimpia on five, Patronato on three, and Melgar on one. Mm. I, I would have said we didn't really talk about Patronato's continental debut. We didn't preview it when we talked about, you know, when we did our season preview that much. We mentioned it was happening, but not much else. But I, I'd have thought that if Patronato can get third place and go into the Sudamericana... They'll be happy enough with that, for yeah. For them, that would yes. be, you know... Decent. I mean, you get a couple of, of wins because every win I think brings in about three hundred thousand dollars, yeah, which is yeah. very useful. Indeed, yeah. It's about the equivalent of an entire Nacional B team yeah. budget for the it's year. A big part of what Independiente will need to to pay their debts. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's no, but yes, for three million dollars or something like that. It's more than one percent. I thought it was twenty million dollars. No, but the the money that the patrono receives. Yeah. For playing Cobertores matches. Oh, sorry, yeah, the total for the group yes. stage. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Racing drew 1-1 with Flamengo, as we have mentioned. Um, oh, God, it takes you back to the homepage rather than back to the list of competitions. That's annoying. <laughs> sorry, new look sofa score is driving me. Slightly around the bend. Um, in the Sudamericana, again, just sticking to the Argentine side, Huracan on Tuesday evening got a 1-1 draw at home to Danubio, who would have you believe that they're the third biggest team in Uruguay. Um, I think there are probably a few more contenders to that title these days than there were when I uh, first visited Montevideo Defensor Sporting. 15 years ago. Um, but Danubio yeah, are still up there, I think. Yeah. But uh, historically, Danubio are probably still up there. Um, there are, oh wow, okay, I was going to say there are three teams tied on four points in that group, but in fact there are four teams tied on four yes. points in Group B. Guarani top it. No. Okay, on this, on the table I'm looking at, Guarani are listed in first place even though they have negative goal difference. Uh, the table I'm looking at, Huracan are top yes, because that, of their goal difference. that looks correct because Huracan and Danubio are the two teams with positive goal difference. Yes. Uh, so it's Huracan first, Danubio second. Uh, Guarani Emelec third Emelec a third and Guarani are fourth but SofaScore as you will confirm for me Dan are listing Guarani as the top side all of them on four points after three matches it's quite an intriguing group it's like yeah. mid to high tier teams of every country involved mm. 
Bragantino, whose full name we're not going to mention on this podcast because the fizzy drink company that owns them are not paying us any money, uh, held Estudiantes to a nil-nil draw. Those are the top two teams in Group C. Again, just going to double-check here that Sofa score is correct. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, Oh, no, it's not correct there either. Oh, no, it is. Sorry, I'm confusing myself now. I'm, I'm trying to be too clever. Um, Bragantino top with a goal difference of plus eight. Estudiantes second with a goal difference of plus five. Um, both on seven points. Taquari on three. And Oriente. Anyway. Uh, Oriente Petrolero, I should say. It's not displaying the full. Anyway, that no, company is no either Spain is, as any money, so it's okay. Indeed, yes. Um... So Estudiantes, yeah, held, but away to the other team who are joint top. So that's probably the most difficult. Uh, I'm going to say the most difficult fixture, because if I remember rightly, Oriente Petrolero are one of the Bolivian sides who play at more or less sea level. They play in Santa Cruz, I believe. Yeah. So they're, they're and they've lost all three of their games fairly handily. Yeah. So I don't think we should worry about them too much. Newell's old boys got a result that, had it happened in the Libertadores, I think would have been one of the lead stories for us this week. They got a home win against Santos, mm. uh, 1-0 in Rosario. So Heinze must be at ease because the last matches at Copa at Liga Profesional had not very good results and he also, I think it's natural for him, discussed uh, energetically with the, with the journalists in the press conference. Mm. Yeah. Um, and the shot map for that one is ridiculous as well. Newell's have 15 shots, Santos had six. Both teams managed two shots on target. So Newell's really should have won much more comfortably, um, but didn't. Uh, in that group, Newell's are top with three wins out of three. Audax Italiano are second on four points. Santos are third, also on four points, but with uh, a goal difference of zero. And Blooming of Bolivia are on no <coughs> points at all after three matches. Uh, who else have we got? Uh, San Lorenzo drew nil-nil away to Palestino. Nothing much to say about that one, but at least San Lorenzo second and Palestino third, separated by both, both teams on negative goal difference. But San Lorenzo have a goal difference of minus one and Palestino of minus three. Fortaleza running away with that group. They've won all three matches so far. Um, Estudiantes de Merida are the other team in that group. Dan just mentioned Tigre. Are they next up on the... Uh, in group stages at uh, well, like terms, yes. We mentioned their 3-0 win away to Academia Puerto Cabello. Or Puerto Cabello. Who don't seem to be very good. They haven't scored a goal yet. I mean, I'm shocked to hear that a Venezuelan side we've never heard of aren't much good against mm. San Paulo, Tigre and Tolima, having lost all of their matches so far. Indeed. Uh, indeed, San Paulo, Tigre and Tolima followed by Puerto Cabello, are the standings for Group D in mm-hmm. that order. Um, so Tigre are looking fairly good if they can hang on with that to qualify. Um, Gimnasia lost at home to Goiás of Brazil. Goals from Vinicius, not that one. And Mateus Peixoto, um, probably that one, but I've never heard of him. Uh, <laughs> both from penalties in the second How half. many Vinicius are? Of course, there must be a lot because Brazil has... I, like, I feel like that's sort of asking how many Matias is like in Argentina, Europe, like, yeah. and if they only went by the name Matias. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> lots. Lots and lots. Um, two, two different penalty takers, even though Vinicius was still on the field for the second penalty. <laughs> so, Curious. So, 
that's one way of doing it. I was about to say that Estudiantes lost 6-1 to Fortaleza, but they didn't, so that's Estudiantes de Merida losing 6-1 to Fortaleza. Um, Defensa y Justicia for Peñarol won, we mentioned earlier, and leaves Defensa y Justicia in second place of Group F behind Millonarios. Peñarol's second 4-1 defeat of the Sudamericana. They are not having a particularly good time yeah. Um, Misionarios have seven points, Defensa Justicia six, America Mineiro four, and Peñarol none at all. As Dan said, it's not exactly vintage Peñarol. Um, mm. And that is all of the Argentine sides yes. who have been in continental competition this week because mercifully, Conmebol don't have a conference league equivalent. Don't give them any ideas, please. That, that would really be taking the piss, wouldn't it? I would not rule that out for no. next year or the year after. In some ways, I think it could be quite fun. In many other ways, it would just be <laughs> too much football. In fact, teams like Estudiantes de Merida, Puerto Cabello and similar should be in that uh, conference, Conmebol. Mm. This is true, yeah. If It was actually to just streamline the Libertadores in Sudamericana and make just a shit tournament. No one would interested in I could get behind it yeah. in you know I haven't sold it particularly well in that description but yeah. yeah I mean we've we've talked before but probably several years ago really now about how this is a consequence of the Sudamericana for the Sudamericana of there being just so few countries in Conmebol mm-hmm. that they have to allow more teams into the Libertadores to have an equivalent size competition to the Champions Leagues in other parts of the world yes. and therefore the second tier ends up being teams who are way further down those leagues than are entering, say, the UEFA uh, Cup, which is not what it's called anymore, uh, in Europe. Um, and so, yeah, the, by, by its nature, it's going to be... And for the new team. World Cup, uh, Club World Cup, will be, I think, fundamental to win or to be, have good, uh, uh, good Copa Libertadores in the different uh, times, because I think the last three... Three uh, Copa Libertadores standings will somehow determine whether the, the qualifiers of the of that World Cup. So, yes, the importance of the competitions will be crucial. Yeah, in fact, just as you said that, uh, Andres, something flashed into my memory, and I remember. And I don't think we talked about this at the start of the year when it was announced. Um, but the yeah, that's right. Conmebol announced at the start of the year that the Libertadores prize money would be going up really quite a lot this year for the winners at least um, I seem to remember we said that when River won it in what was the last when was the last year 2018 they got like three million dollars or something for, for winning the final mm. uh, the winners of this year's final just for winning the final not for winning the matches that get them there will get 18 million dollars wow. um, so that is a, a massive boost in the prize money uh, it's going to sound like very little indeed, obviously, to people who are fans of European football and are wondering what we're making such a fuss about. But again, five years ago, River won the thing and, and got three million dollars for winning the final. Um, so yeah. And whether well, there there were no that gap, uh, that actually is with, between Brazil and the others, hmm. Brazilian teams and the others. So it will be even bigger, I think. Indeed, yeah, uh, but. In the long term, maybe it starts to make. I mean, uh, of course, the Intercontinental Cup and the Club World Cup and its current guys aren't going to be happening anymore, but you might think, oh, that might help them to start to just maybe hope to close that gap a tiny bit in terms of remaining competitive for another couple of months uh, if it were still happening that way, but it's not doing. Um, Now, 
The Super Classical. Jets. Oh, yes. That's coming up. Um, we've talked a fair bit already about River and Bocca's uh, form going into it, but since we very often completely forget to preview um, Classicals, I feel like we should give this one at least some lip service uh, mm. for all of the fact that River have just had a very bad week and Bocca have just had a very good one. Uh, this is still first against 13th in the league as we go into it. So, Andres, I'm guessing yeah. that you must be feeling pretty bullish. A form book still goes, always well, goes out the window, Sam. Well, it will be the the last time that we will play that, the same stadium that will be played the Super Classico. They won 2-0 against Independiente, being massive in the way of being only one team in the, in the, in the match. Uh, mm. Of course, then you have you have two other matches, none of them in, in as home and home condition, playing quite uh, uh, awfully or not that the, the same way that they played against Independiente. Uh, and as, as you said, one of those against Atlético Tucumán was with the rather second string. Yes, Atletico. very second, and and with the Paradela similarly sent off like mm. Auche against uh, Flamengo, which means he won't be playing yes. on Sunday. Yes, uh, uh, but I don't think he will be in the in the starting lineup. I know as punish him, punishing him. But uh, he started. Will he not be suspended? Oh yes, because it was the the brief match. Yes, sorry. Yeah. Uh, because yes, I got confused because of the Fluminense then, and yes, even if uh, he hadn't been sent off, we will have to see whether he will be in the starting lineup because he hasn't been. Uh, as clear as, as he started with the Michelis. Yeah. But well, yes, uh, it's if you take the picture of the last two matches, I should be worried. And if you look at the table and the previous uh, matches with the clean sheet and, and, and with the clean working, uh, or I mean the, 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 way, the way the team worked so smoothly, so, so fluently, I should be more at ease. Of course, it's worrying that Boca it's not that they started playing much better, but they start they stopped being 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 crap. Uh, yeah, we all know what happens when yes. Boca kind of get a, a tailwind behind them and mm. and start grinding out results. It's it's quite hard to stop them. We yes. saw it last year. We saw it in two thousand twenty. Good thing it's is that not a good team to face when they're on a no. roll. The good thing is that we have already checked that Adinkula is dangerous, yeah, taking long or medium distance shots. So now we have to to prevent for him to 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 shot, of course. Yeah. Because he will try to repeat that. Yeah. Uh, and Dan, you, as you mentioned during the first half, this is a match between two debut coaches mm. from the point of view of the Super Classical debut. That is. Yes. Uh, and I know that you wrote something for the Buenos Aires Times Indeed. about that. But for people who can't be asked to go to that website and read it, what was your thesis? Uh, basically, what um, what I've kind of been hinting at, uh, if you look just you know at the two teams that have been playing over the year, you'd say it has to be River um, River as uh, as the favourites. Um, they're playing better football, obviously, than than Boca. I think they're a better team in general uh, across the pitch than than Boca. But as I just said. Nothing more dangerous than Boca when they just got that little bit of momentum. They make that tiny little tactical tweak 
where it actually makes them look like a functioning football club. Because if any team is adept at getting blood out of a stone, it's Boca. And that's essentially what they've done for the last three or four games since they've been able to snap that winning streak. Just, just do enough to put some pretty decent teams away, like Colo Colo weren't a bad team, Racing, you know, defensive wobbles aside, are not a bad team, as we've seen in the Libertadores at least. Um, and I think you know exactly what to expect from Boca, they're going to probably line up with five at the back, with uh, Avincula as, you know, midfielder, roving winger midfielder, with a tiny bit of defensive duties, just like he's been doing for the, for the last couple of games and they're just going to look to hit Boca on the break every opportunity they can if the opportunity doesn't come up they'll slip back they won't have any problem with that um, and and see what happens you know a draw I think away to a river won't be a bad result for Boca at all because they're not fighting for the title they just can't lose this game basically um, so they're probably a team that has less to lose like River, of course, have got one eye actually on the league table, um, and will probably be a bit anxious after after the last couple of games. So kind of nicely poised, and you got you know that unknown X factor of Amiran and Demichelis never having um, coached in the Superclasico. Indeed, I think for Demichelis, it's by far the biggest game he's ever had to deal with um, in his career. A very very short coaching career, um, so that's going to be very going to be interesting how he he takes on that pressure. Is he going to kind of moderate this? You know, yeah, some, some balls to the wall style. He's been trying to play with River. You know, actually keep a couple of people back, or or is it going to be business as usual? I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I'm I'm quite looking forward to it. Some crazy people, of course, that always appear in these cases, uh, saying that if the Michelis lost or River lost, the Michelis should leave. <laughs> And well, but it's obvious because uh, uh, you Who? you you Who some are these people <laughs> you, you some people that writes in in, in pages uh, for fans and and they are all right course, yes uh, but of course you take you take into account only the two like I, like I said if you take into account only the last last two matches mm. uh, River of course it was worse in their level in their performance and and in the other hand Boca. I think I will say that they are with the better energy. They are not playing. I mean, playing better than before. Yes, because before they were playing quite well, terribly bad. Uh, but that is like makes the the match perhaps even a, a bit even or more more close for for Boca. But as, you, as we all know, uh, a super classico is different and what it's usually said. That it doesn't matter how the both teams played before, but River should remember how they were two weeks before and how Boca was two weeks before. Yeah, indeed. Um, oh, we had some. I don't know if it's been confirmed yay or nay yet, but there is kind of an interesting side story here. Sure. Uh, El Diablito Echeverri could make the bench, or at least he could the last time I. I don't think so because he will play in the reserves, uh, Super Clasico. The, mm. When when that the the reserves is played, uh, the reserves match Saturday. Uh, yes, it should so, be yeah, because it's usually the day before. Yes. Oh, that, that was one of the things that had come up. Like he might worm his way onto the bench. There was speculation about that, 
But for him being called up for the reserves, I think it means he won't be in the bench. It'd be a hell of a game to be given his <laughs> first call-up. Well. the 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 former tennis player, finalist of Roland Garros, uh, and, and famous River Sport uh, supporter, said in his social networks, how, it would be nice for him to to face Roncaglia in the last 15 minutes. Mm. <laughs> but uh, I don't think it will happen. Oh, that's a noisy dog. Oh, wow. that, is, that is Rongaglia. I shall take this opportunity provided by the dog to also just apologise if you can hear any static from time to time. Uh, I think it must be because Dan is sharing his data with me for a Wi-Fi connection because we can't get Wi-Fi on, on the in home internet. Um, and he had his phone quite close to the microphone so I've just asked him to move it away. It's like internet waves bouncing around. And yes. Mm? Uh, one other thing that I will say, if you're looking at um, live score apps at the fixtures, and you happen to notice the same thing that I have just noticed, uh, which is that um, there's another Super Classico coming up. I would say caution, because SofaScore is telling me um, that on the 16th or 17th of this month, there will be a Boca River match for the Trofeo de Campeones de la Liga Profesional. What? But I have investigated this while the other two were talking on Google, and as far as I can see, it still has not been scheduled. This match is the 2020 Trofeo de Campeones right. between Boca, who in 2020 won both the Superliga and the Copa de la Superliga, and River, who were the runners-up in the Superliga. So that still hasn't been played because of reasons that we're all aware of. If you can remember As I think I, I said in a, in a previous episode, I, I think it was, along with you, that no one wants to play that match. Yeah. And depending on the result of this, if this is a draw, that could be an option. Um, but the, the newest news story that I can find um, about when that match is going to be is a get, uh, one from a River fan blog with uh, Jorge Brito, who's one of the... Is he one of the current Junta? Um, no, he's the president. He's, he's one of, oh, he's the current president, of course. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, because he, he was previously like the second vice president. He was president, uh, wasn't, wasn't before, yeah. Um, under Donofrio. Uh, explaining that they still don't have a date for it. It's going to be, this, this story is from March, and he's saying, April, we've got Libertadores games every midweek, so it's going to be really difficult to find a spot. So as far as I can tell, regardless of what SofaScore says, uh, that match still hasn't been scheduled. SofaScore has it being played on the 16th of May at 21. It would be glorious if that match is also played in Dabu Dhabi, like the Bukhan <laughs> Rasin. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's what that is. That's why Boca and River are playing at some point, if you do notice that lined up in your live score matches. And in fact, it wouldn't be an entirely unsensible day to play it, if they're going to play it in Argentina, because they do both have that midweek free. Uh-huh. But as far as I can see, it hasn't actually been scheduled yet. Right. So don't believe what your live score app tells you. Always second guess everything when it comes to Argentine football. Uh, speaking of which, there's one last thing that we need to discuss, and that is the final... Um, squad list for the under 20 world cup mm. which very handily santi retweeted earlier so i am now going to search for santi's uh, timeline to find out exactly where it is he's probably tweeted loads of other stuff as well because he's on twitter all the time um he is prolific yes yeah here it is good right so uh <coughs> no went no not no went pass Who's, who's Pass? What's his first name? I've forgotten. Nicolas Pass. Nicolas Pass. Pass. I got the first initial right. Alejandro Ganacho, 
and young Mr. Buonanotte, whose first name I've also forgotten. Facunda. Facunda, thank you. Um, none of them have been allowed to travel, or, to put it another way, uh, Nicolas Pass and Alejandro Garnacho haven't been allowed to travel by their clubs. Buonanotte was going to be allowed to travel by Brighton, but they said that he was allowed to be uh, involved for Argentina from the 21st of May onwards, and that is the day after Argentina's first under-21 cup match. So Argentina said, no, don't bother. Um, but there will be um, Matias Sule, Luca Romero, um, Maxi Perrone of Manchester City, um, Matteo Tanlongo, uh, Roman Vega, and Carboni. What's his first name? Valentino. Which one? There's two. Ah, Valentino, I think. Is Valentino or Franco? Valentin Carboni. Um, those are the foreign-based players who will all be there. Uh, the full squad list is Federico Gomez Gert of Tigre, the 27th World Cup winner. There were 26 mm-hmm. people in the squad, weren't there? He was the, the fourth goalkeeper in uh, inverted commas. He obviously wasn't actually a member of the squad, but he was the only underage player who went along and um, hung out with everybody, basically. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, and Sergio Aguero, but he's not underage, is he? He's very much overage and not playing anymore. Uh, Nicolas, how on earth do you say that surname? It's the first time I've had to do this on the podcast. Nicolas, Cla. No. <laughs> you choking, sir? Cla. It, it's it's Cla. C-L-A-A with an, a, an accent over the first A. How would you say that? There's a non-fluent Spanish. Cla. Well, Cla. 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 Andres, what have you got as a native? Yes, Claire. Claire. Nicolas Claire. Claire. Um, Claire. We hope he never Claire. plays, right? Yeah. Uh, he, he's from, yes, indeed, yeah, we very much hope that. Uh, he's from, from Lanús. Um, and Lucas Lavagnino of River. Uh, those are the goalkeepers. The defenders are Agustin Giai, Tomas Aviles, Lautaro Di Lollo. Tomás Aviles, uh, the guy I mentioned recently who Play for played the Sudamericano for Chile. Oh, of course, yeah. The Racing um, kid. I've just realised I'm forgetting to read out um, clubs here. So Agustín Giai of San Lorenzo, Tomás Aviles of Racing, mm-hmm. as Dan has sort of hinted already, the fact that we mentioned him. Lautaro Di Lolo of Boca, Valentín Gómez of Vélez, Román Vega of Barcelona, mm. Valentín Barco of Boca, uh, who we mentioned last week, I think, has been yeah. playing quite well for them recently. Uh, midfielders, Matteo Tanlongo of Sporting Clube de Portugal, Ignacio Miramon of Gimnasia, Federico Redondo of Argentinos, and if you're wondering, oh, what yes. is that? The answer yes. is yes, it is. Uh, Maximo Perroni, if you're too young to be wondering who that is, by the way, and why I just said that, it's because, just not, honestly, just learn some football history. Um, <laughs> Fernando Redondo was... Uh, an Argentinos great and indeed a Real Madrid great and uh, this is his son Maximo Perrone of Manchester City who, who did he play for here before Vince. Manchester City that's right yeah Gino Infantino the player whose name we continue to be very sorry that he's got for Rosario Central Valentin Carboni from Internazionale Milano another Valentin uh, and up front Matias Sule of Juventus Luca Romero of Lazio, Alejo Belis of Rosario Central, Ignacio Maestro Puch, the player whose second name really should be a nickname but magnificently is not from Atletico Tucumán, 
Juan Gauto of Huracan and Brian Aguirre of Newells. Uh, it's not a bad squad, but unfortunately they're going to struggle to get out of the group because the manager remains Javier Mascherano. Absolutely. Who does not know his arse from his elbow in managerial terms. Just want to make that clear. Not a bad player, but so far appears to be demonstrably quite a bad manager. Correct. Um, are they going to struggle to get out of the group though? Because it's a very weak group. I mean, as we said... Uh, Without really knowing very much last about yeah, what under-20 football's like in those countries. I don't know much about Uzbeki under-20 football. I've just gone by the names and the fact they're playing on home soil. It'd be an absolute catastrophe if they didn't get out of the group stage. Hmm. Well, you don't want to put too much stock ever in results at this level, but you you want to get out of the group stage. But I do feel like there's... If, if I were... You know, obviously, we're all hoping that Argentina do well, just as we're all supporting, we were all supporting the Argentine, the men's national side. And on the 20 level, I'm a little bit less bothered because it's much more about development. Mm-hmm. But if I were Argentine, then the thing that I would be most um, nervous about, I think, is the fact that there was so much fuss about trying to get United to release Garnacho. Yeah. This idea that somehow the entire campaign is going to be hinging on this one player... And it's not as if they don't have a lot of other talented players who are in the squad. No, absolutely. But just this, this whole kind of, oh, it's all about this, this one guy. I mean, yeah. I don't know what that says for the rest of them and how confident that's going to make the rest of them. Um, yeah. Andres? Yes. The, the thing is that he, he's still not 100% recovered from, from no. his injury also. I think he might be, Ten Hag said yesterday, I think that he might be on the bench on Sunday against West Ham. So he's coming back, but he's still not going to be no. in great shape. And as we were saying before we started recording, United need him for the end of the season. They've got big matches coming up now. And so. he, he will suffer similar things to Yalita Chavarri, who uh, he's, he said that he felt some pressure, but he, he, he and, and every time he is like uh, demanding something like while well, playing for, for the first division or making his debut for River and, and, and that. Uh, that he's a, a very he's along with his family and his family of course he's with him and and, and I think Garnacho might, might have something similar to to him because he's uh, almost similar age but having having made his debut and, and played a lot of matches for Manchester United yeah. not the similar thing not similar to to Yamita Chavarri who is still well uh, like, like Dan it's said, still a baby isn't it yeah. yeah it was yeah. said that uh, he will. Perhaps being the bench for against Boca, it's a very hot match or very tough match for him to make his debut, mm. absolute <laughs> debut. So uh, he, uh, apparently Garnacho came along with the pressure uh, better because he, he he it wasn't so heavy for him. Yeah, well, Garnacho's two years older than Echeverri, right? Yeah, he's got I mean, impression nineteen now. I guess the other no, no, he's uh, seventeen. Garnacho, no, yeah, surely not. Nah, can't be. I have a team, but uh, anyway, it's not so older. It can't be 17. Eight, oh, 18. He must have just turned 18. Nah, he's been 18 for a while. I think he's about to turn 19. 1st of July. Oh, you're right. He is about yeah. to turn 19. I, po- oh, I, I told Andres he was 17 earlier as well, before we started. Liar. Playing, so I apologise. Just trying to uh, pump him up. Well, anyway, he's not a, a senior. Uh, no. And I guess one, you know, not that it matters now that he's playing at all but uh, in this World Cup, but... One thing that you could say that's a bit different is that had he been in the squad 
it wouldn't be too difficult to make an argument that these wouldn't be the biggest matches of his career so far. He's played in some mm. very big matches already. Uh, it, it, you know, it is also a World Cup, even at under 20 level, so it could be argued that they would be the biggest matches, but you could also make an argument that they weren't. Whereas Echeverri, clearly, the under-17 Sudamericano does not compare to a first-team Super Clásico. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But anyway, in the under-20s, uh, to me it looks like a decent squad. To me it doesn't look like a decent manager, unfortunately. Which one will win out? Indeed. Um, I mm. kind of feel like they, they need to be, especially with the most of the third-place teams going through, you've got to think Argentina are going to be in the second round. Beyond that, Very nice. it's going to be clenched well, stuff. Uh, the expectation, expectations at first, uh, first of all, is for Marcelo to say at the end of the first round of the round stage to say I am I'm out because I we failed to qualify, uh, like he did in the Sudamericana. Mm. So uh, I think it's easier in this, which is paradox that it's perhaps easier the first round of the World Cup than it was for Sudamericana, but it is yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving on to listeners' questions, we have had a... Two or three, I think. Handf- no, not even a handful. Three, by the look of it. Tommy Buendia says, Looks like the AFA will be building a new training facility in... And if you haven't heard this story, then I hope you're sitting down. Miami. Yes, you heard that correctly. They're hoping to attract dual national youth players based in the US. Seemed like an idea, yeah. at least. Uh, they also want to partner with all of the major sports leagues. Now, I haven't read this bit of the story. Um, what are the major sports leagues? What, like NBA? That's what I thought as well. <laughs> uh, so, Tommy's question is, what are your thoughts? Now, the, my immediate thought is that Sergio Romero's two brothers are both professional basketball players, which is why yes. six foot four Sergio Romero is known as Chiquito in his family. the run of the litter. Um, I'm yeah. sure there are others who have also got probably mostly basketball players in their family, given that they're Argentine. Yes, um, there aren't going to be too many baseball or American. Lautaro Martinez. Uh, yes, that's the either yeah. played basketball or had like uh, brothers brothers who played basketball because he's from the basketball hotbed of Bahia Blanca. Mm. Um, but no, other than that, my thoughts are. I mean, I'm gonna cr- treat this with uh, reasonable scepticism, yeah. but because it does really sound like one of these white elephant projects, Argentine organisations love to announce. And never get around to laying a brick after spending millions in planning and um, yeah, planning I, for the I lawyers. Will, uh, I will make uh, that uh, the, the office that they already have, I think, in Europe with the with a lot of people with uh, like scouts. With the, uh, the, in fact, they did a, a good job with well, Garnacho, Sule, uh, um, Carboni uh, yeah. brothers to. Do call they have them. an office in Europe? I think they have, yes. Because Scaloni lives in Europe, obviously. In the Mallorca, yes. I don't yes. know whether it was much more than that. In Spain. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, it could just be a PR box, to be fair, or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, but they have uh, people working there, yeah. and I think the, it, it is, this is the result hmm. of a preliminary, perhaps, work. Then they have to go to the next level, I think, or, or make it stronger. Of course, if, if it helps, uh, I won't say, yeah, it's not useful, but uh, I will go, have gone for that direction, not uh, open or... or do this thing in Miami, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, no offense to Tommy. Yes, of course not. Or, or to any of the other, what SoundCloud tells me is approximately fifty percent of our listeners who are in the United States. But between the two plans, I think allowing 
European FAs and football clubs to do most of your player development for you and then trying to convince them to play for Argentina is probably a better plan than leaving it to Atlanta United and whichever other clubs there are in Florida. Yeah, Inter Miami and... Uh, yes. Oh yeah, there are some other MLS clubs in Florida, of course. Yeah, because let's face so it, if they're good enough, life. they're going to get a move to Europe before yeah. getting a call-up for Argentina. Exactly. Um, Tommy also asks, what are your favourite Super Clasico memories? Yeah. Dan? <laughs> Uh, the first one I went to always stands out. It was uh, the showdown, a showdown between Raquelme and Ariel Ortega in the Monumental. It wasn't quite as entertaining as that matchup seem would seem to promise, but then again, they never are really, are they? Mm. But very exciting, you know, being there in the stands, seeing what all the fuss was about. This was back in the day where there were still away fans, in this case, Boca fans in the Monumental. So. You know, that was all very exciting. Um, the rest of them, I can't really remember. I remember I've got scattered memories like when the, the pig was flied over, was flown over <laughs> the Monumental. Um, there was one really, really shit wet game, which I think was uh, originally called off and then won by two goals from Gary Medel, of all people. That was also around 2010, 2009. Um, obviously, no, the Copa Libertadores final was yeah. epic. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in before go, please. before Andres because I'm guessing Andres is going to have more. Um, oh, fairly <laughs> probably better ones. Concentrate. Uh, but yeah, I mean, mine I guess would also be from. I can't remember which order I attended in. The first one I went, so I've been to two, both at River. Uh, and the first one I went to was the one that had it finished a 1-1 draw, if I'm remembering correctly. I can't remember who scored Boca's goal, but Rivers was scored by Herman Petzela after Gachardo chucked him on up front for hmm? the last 10 minutes or so. Ah, Lissandro Bajan was a and, scorer for the Bocas. And that was the one that was just played in, it should have been called off, but was not. Um, and everybody in the stadium was absolutely drenched to the bollocks for <laughs> Fanny. Um, by the end of the game, um, indeed before half time, even before kickoff, uh, I've been in the stadium for two hours already. By that point, being constantly rained on, uh, <laughs> and just Petzela's goal going in, and then immediately mm. being put in a chokehold by the guy behind me because he just wanted to hug somebody um, <laughs> who, who I'd never exchanged a word with <laughs> during the game at any point. Um, is yeah, it's probably up there. And then just from a pure neutral footballing point of view, Rivers. I want to say equaliser. Yeah, the equaliser in the second goal, probably, in, in the Bernabeu, mm. just as a football fan watching on television. Mm. I think that's the best... Those two goals are probably the best football that I've seen in a Super Classico. Um, the third goal, obviously, the famous one, but for me, is the first and second Pratos and then Quintero's absolute belter to give them the lead. <laughs> Even though the fact that that goal, that game was played in the Bernabeu really ruins the memory in many ways. <laughs> You uh, did just jog, jog my memory for another one, which is coincidentally the last non-Gachardo Superclassico, the No Fue Corner. Oh, it yeah. wasn't a corner, Classico. Um, which was also... Ramiro Funes Moris. It wasn't my fault from Ramon Diaz when he got sent off and they were singing it. Yes. He went down, he went down, and he was like, I didn't. <laughs> Dickhead. That was fun. Uh, and yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> my answer is obvious and that one thing that... Uh, it's like summarizes everything, which is uh, a supporter called his 
I think it was his daughter or, or his son. It doesn't matter because the gender, because she he called her or him Ibael Tercero, who is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. Here comes the third, the third goal. Yes, the commentator's line as um, yes, and as the Pinti other Martinez one started to trot away. Up the and it, it was glorious to see, to watch the the replay of the third goal, mm. with, for example, um, Pinola uh, running behind uh, Pity Martinez, and being serious, 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 and then when he clearly sees that the ball will will go into the net, uh, shouting like. But but try to keep calm and not to shout before uh, yeah. <laughs> the goal, uh, and then well the the other match is the one I don't remember when it was played but it was only twenty years ago, uh, the the one in that Rio was losing three 0 and and it ended it growing three three mm. with a, a goal from the Paraguayan defender Celso Ayala with Ramon mm. Diaz in the bench, uh, in the monumental of course. Uh -huh. Fluminense. He scored more goals than anyone in 2023. Is there a reason why he hasn't been called up to the national team? Um, I think basically because we only realised he existed as a player last week. Yeah, because he's got the bad luck to be an Argentine attacker. And yes. They're quite... Sad. He was asked in the press conference about... Obviously, he, will, he, he thinks he deserves a call. And he was respectful because he said that the, there is a process, natural process, and he can't go there. Yes, a... Uh, uh, of course, he, if he, he will have 31, 32 years, that will be different. With 35, yeah. perhaps he's, he will be, he will be, he will be called up in uh, 2026 with uh, 38 years. Yeah, indeed. Or, I mean, I'm just looking at his stats now to see whether he's done this previously. He's always been um, a decent goal scorer, nothing like this year. But no. I think it's just a rule in general. Um, Argentines who do really well in Brazil don't tend to get the call. Um, uh, for the national team, you look at Andres D'Alessandro, who was absolutely fantastic back in the day for Internacional. Dario Conca, um, Walter Montillo. Dario Conca, who was the highest paid player in world football. Very briefly, yes, when he moved from Fluminense to Shenzhen, I think it was. was called up not, uh, so, not a lot of times. And, and he, he was at San Lorenzo, perhaps. Not at Cruzeiro. Sorry? Walter Montillo. Uh, he has been called up not a lot of times. Under Maradona, maybe. Very, very briefly. I think you were on the verge of a call up under Maradona, to be honest, Andres. So I'm not sure we can really put much stop by that. No, but I'm just looking at Cano's goal scoring. So he got two goals in 17 games for Lanús in 2008 2009. Mm. This is all in just domestic leagues. So I can't be bothered to scroll along on my mobile phone to see what the full uh, list is. Um, one goal in 18 appearances for Chacarita in 2009-10. No goals in five appearances for Colón in 2010-11. Um, Ten goals in 18 for Deportivo Pereira in Colombia in 2011. That's not bad. And then two in 12 for Nacional of Paraguay in 2012. That's correct. And then 2012 to 2019, he played for DIM, as Liam says, and scored 117 goals in 176 games. So it That's seems like good. he moved to Colombia again, and suddenly he seems to... Have, he just likes Colombia, really, doesn't he? Deportivo Pereira, and then... I mean, Colombian football is 
It's a little bit shit. Mm. Let's be honest. We didn't say that out loud. Um, <laughs> I'll say it. <laughs> Pachuca of Mexico, he went to in 2015 and scored four goals in 25 games over 2015 and 2017. In between those, he had a year at Leon. Um, or a year and a half at Leon, where he scored 11 goals in 43 games, so not exactly setting the world alight there either. And then he moved to Vasco in 2020 and scored 25 goals in 70 matches and, as we've mentioned, 27 goals in 41 games so far for Fluminense. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it is good yeah. in the latter years, but at, given his age, as you say, I'm not really sure that he deserves being picked. If you only focus only on the moment, of course, he will... The thing is, well, how do you get out of mm. uh, the national team for Lautaro Martinez or Julian Alvarez? Lautaro Martinez, perhaps, now he scored, increased also his number of goals. I think he scored three a day or something like that. But uh, he's not as... Three or two, yes. Ah, well, I don't pay that much attention to... He scored, he scored again after the time he, he, he was on table. He's not the goal scorer, perhaps, like he, like Cano, Cano is his proper number nine, perhaps. And Lautaro is more... Uh, well, he was third top scorer of the World Cup. Oh, well. Which he won, wasn't he? So, true. But yes, the, the age, I think, is the worst thing yeah. for him to consider being called up. Yeah, if, if, if Cano was in this kind of form and was ten years younger, then we might be hearing some... And he will be a Fluminense. serious question. Though, no, exactly, yeah, though, though Brazil is a strong uh, market right now. Mm. Uh, he will be in Europe clearly. Yeah. Anyway, those are all of our listeners' questions for this week. So thank you, Tommy and Liam, for sending them in. Stick around, and I'll tell you what's going to happen this weekend with Mystic Sam. Okay, here we go. Barracas Central. Uh, as we told you at the top of the show, have already beaten Instituto Cordoba 3-0 and Godoy Cruz and Union have drawn 0-0. The other matches are all taking place in the future. I'm going to get this one uploaded tonight, so the, uh, those of you who listen to it when it goes up will be listening to this. In the future of like flying cars and tubes and pills for meals, like that kind of thing. I mean, they'd have to develop those things pretty damn quickly. But I think they sure. could if they really wanted to. Why not? Uh, Lanús versus Huracán, I think will be an Huracán win. Belgrano versus Atlético Tucumán, I'm going to go for a draw. Colón versus Banfield, I think will be a <coughs> Banfield win, maybe. I don't really know where Banfield are in the league. Colón are <laughs> terrible. Uh, Banfield are less terrible. Or slightly more terrible. Oh, slightly less terrible. One point less terrible in fact. So I've just really stuck my neck out there. Well, like Cologne have been less terrible recently. I think Banfield have been more terrible recently. Well, anyway, I've said Banfield win. When Chopia scores several goals. Argentinos Juniors versus Independiente. I'm going to go for an Argentinos win, I think. Rosario Central versus Platense. I think will be a draw. The Super Clasico. Uh, I think will also be a draw. Estudiantes versus Belles. I'm going to go for an Estudiantes win. Tigre, I think, will beat Newells. That one should be like low-key, one of the more interesting matches of the weekend, I think. Mm. Um, and then on Monday, there are a massive 
four matches. This is what happens on Super Classico weekend mm. when, for some reason, there are no matches on Friday. Well, one of the That's reasons. the Libertadores as well because Racing. Yes, it probably is. Yeah. One of the reasons is why. I mean, yeah, actually, there's at least one yes. team in almost in three of these four games. There's at least one team who were in Continental actually in the week. Well, there you go. Now that if there are play, uh, matches in playing Buenos Aires in Ciudad in capital of Buenos Aires, one. Mm. Uh, because there will be 1,400 police officers. Mm. Yes, of course, the super, yeah, yeah. Um, so Monday's night's well, matches are... windows on Sunday, lads. There won't be any police in there. <laughs> Arsenal, well, might not be all right, mine are seven floors up. Uh, <laughs> six floors up, sorry. Yeah, I, I do know where I live. Right. Arsenal versus Gimnasia um, is going to be a Gimnasia win. San Lorenzo, I think, will beat Defensa y Justicia. Racing are at home to Tacheres, and I expect them to... Win. Good. And Central Cordoba de Santiago de Estero plays Sarmiento de Junín, and I think that will be a match that's not worth watching, and also a draw. Um, By the way, there was something about. I don't know whether this will have something to do with the match, I mean, for, for Central Cordoba, but the. Uh, uh, La Pulita Rodriguez had a, a very bad accident mm. with mm. his car. I meant to mention this, yeah, and I completely forgot. He was it on Tuesday night? I think it was Monday Tuesday. Night? Yeah. Um, yeah. He he was found wandering the side of the um, highway mm. by a bunch of drivers who for somehow they said, in spite of his facial injuries, recognised who he was and stopped to help him out. Um, I mean, they stopped to help him out, and then they recognised who he was. Um, and yeah, his, his, he didn't know what had happened. He still doesn't know what had happened. Mm. Um, his car was, was lying somewhere off the side of the road on its roof. Yeah, it seems like it was speeding. He, he swerved he'd and He'd been thrown through the windscreen, yeah. and that basically saved his life. Um, and he was in intensive care for a couple of days. I think he's now... Yeah, 48 hours at care. least. He was put in... I, I mean, the impression I got reading it was that he'd been put in an induced coma rather than... Yeah. Like to... Let him fiddle yeah, about. To allow his body to sort of um, uh, recover while they looked at him. And he's now out of the worst of it. But yeah, quite sure. So thank you for reminding me, Andres, because I, I read that the other day, meant to mention it on the podcast and then totally forgot. Um, so get well soon, Bulga. Indeed, yes. Get Legend well soon. And also try and drive a bit more carefully next time. But you mm. can say that about, about 50% of the drivers on Argentina's roads um, <laughs> in your defence. So there we go. Uh, for now, though, thank you very much indeed for listening to a bumper episode. Mm. We hope that you've enjoyed it, and we hope that you will join us again next week to review the Super Classico and all of those other matches, including what did I say was going to be good? Tigre versus Newells. Let's hope <laughs> I'm not embarrassed by that one. Um, for now, thanks and goodbye from English Down. Goodbye. Andres. Goodbye, thank you. And me, thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>